This is a podcast from the Business Times. I think in Singapore, we're either lucky or greedy. Recently, we welcome 2024 with feasting and fireworks. Soon, we'll celebrate with another round of merriment during the Lunar New Year. Drum rolls, please. We will be celebrating the auspicious year of the dragon. In dragon years, the birth rate typically rises. But will the dragon all go well for Singapore property? Welcome to Property BT, a podcast series by the Business Times. I'm Senior Correspondent Leslie Yee, and I'll be your host as we gather insights on all things Singapore property to help you in your property investment journey. I confess, I know very little about feng shui or geomancy. Perhaps a feng shui master can best project prospects for Singapore property in the year of the wood dragon. Nonetheless, I think we're in good hands when looking at the outlook for Singapore property in a dragon year. My guest is a man well-versed in analysing data to make sense of and sniff out trends in Singapore's property market. A warm welcome to Wong Xianyang, Research Head at Cushman and Wakefield. Welcome, Xianyang. Thank you, Leslie. Xianyang, new condos in suburban areas such as Lentor and Jurong are selling for well over 2000 Singapore dollars per square foot. Home prices are elevated despite tough property cooling measures and higher home loan rates. Is there irrational exuberance in the private housing market? What is the risk of a nasty crash in home prices? How will private home prices perform in the next 6 to 12 months? So we still think there could be further upside for housing prices in 2024. We think that private housing prices could grow by up to 3% in 2024, and this compares to about 7% in 2023. Stronger economic prospects, an expected drop in interest rates, this could be catalyst for housing prices to grow even further and for housing demand to increase. And also, HDB resale prices continue to grow, and this would support HDB upgrading demand. But that's it. There are a few things to take note about. One, right, while interest rates are expected to fall, it is not expected to return to pre-pandemic levels, at least not at the end of this year. As such, buying demand will still be weighed down by heightened borrowing costs. Second, rents are expected to fall by up to 5% in 2024, given near to record high number of completions in 2023. As such, investors looking to buy for resale properties for investment, they might hold back. Furthermore, supply from the government land sales program is increasing, right? and this signals you know, the government's intent to cool housing prices. Though this will not have an immediate effect on the housing market, nonetheless, this could impact sentiments. So taking all this in total, the Year of the Dragon could be a pretty tame one at the start. But there are catalysts to look forward to that could send this dragon flying at the end. Interesting. So I guess we're looking at still positive growth in home prices, uh, although at perhaps a slower pace. But for people looking in the rental market, maybe they can look forward to having softer rents. Xianyang, I think the resale market for Housing and Development Board or HDB flats, especially for larger units, has done well. There are numerous HDB resale flats that sell for over a million Singapore dollars. Suburban condos have also performed well. These homes are typically bought by locals, many of whom may be paying zero in additional bar stamp duty or ABSD. Some suburban condos enjoy good transport links and amenities. 
Still demand for private homes in prestigious areas such as Orchard Road and Sentosa Cove may be reeling from the absence of foreigners who need to pay 60% in ABSD. Also, demand for private homes in the Central Business District, or CBD, could be soft. Many locals do not appear to be receptive to the idea of living in the CBD. What are some key trends in the Singapore housing market, Yang? What do home buyers value these days? So, what we see in the market is there's still buying demand in the market. It is really selective right now, given, number one, higher supply of new launches in the market, so buyers have more choice, so they're taking their time. Two, some demand has also been priced out of the market due to elevated housing prices and higher borrowing costs. And we see this in the divergence of performance across the new launches in 2023, where projects which are able to differentiate themselves, such as you know, having a good location you know, close to a MRT station, have done really well. Whereas other projects that do not have that differentiating factor have not done as well. But nonetheless, on average, new launch performance still remains fairly healthy. If you look at the average take-up for major new launches in 2023, it is about 50 over percent. So as such, while the new launch market is definitely not as fast-paced as what it was in 2022, it is still moving along fairly steadily. So in terms of what kinds of unit types that buyers are looking for, suburban condos and bigger HDB flats, these are popular. So two-bedroom uh, units, these tend to be the most popular in new launches for a few various reasons. Number one, they are fairly affordable. Right now, two-bedroom units for new launches, they are about 1.65 million for the median price for about a 700 to 1,000 square feet unit. So this is affordable for some of the high-earning singles and also for young couples. And also for two-bedder, there's more flexibility for buyers and it appeals to a wider buyer profile. So for example, a single could buy a two-bedder and they could occupy the master bedroom and rent out the other bedroom. And a two-bedroom unit will also appeal to a young couple who could or could not have plans for a child in the future. So as such, we see a lot of two-bedroom units being sold quite well in the market these days. So I guess if we could afford it, go for that two-bedroom condo unit. Uh, Although given that launches still see good take-up, it can be quite challenging securing such a unit. We live in a world of constant change. Many items have gotten much more expensive due to rising inflation. To combat rising inflation, interest rates have gone up. This is great for people putting money in fixed deposits and treasury bills. But high interest rates are painful for borrowers, be they companies or individuals. The days of paying just over 1% per annum on home loans are well behind us. Today, the annual interest on a home loan could be well over 4%. Higher home loan rates curtail the borrowing ability of home bars to fund a new home purchase. Homeowners with existing mortgages may also need to refinance at higher interest rates. Financing costs for developers are up. This makes projects more risky and eats into profit margins. Xianyang, what is the impact of high interest rates on developers and home buyers? So for developers, higher interest rates create higher borrowing costs, which increase the development cost to finance a new project. So in terms of total construction costs and in terms of profit margins, this will be impacted. And also buying demand will also be affected as you know, some buyers would be priced out by heightened interest rates. So for a developer, the end result will be they'll be more cautious, especially in their land acquisitions. In terms of 
they be more selective. They will be wary about whether they are able to underwrite the future pricing of a development if they were to, to go in. And this has also led to, I would say, a slowdown in the end block market where there's a wide buy and seller gap in terms of expectations. For a home buyer or for those who are still servicing their mortgages, right, higher interest rates would tend to put a strain on holding power. That said, overall, I think there's not much over leverage in the Singapore market. Right? If you look at recent stats according to the MAS, right, the non-performing loan ratio is really low at 0.2%. So as such, I think for Singapore sellers, right, they still have very strong holding power in this market. Xianyang, I, I guess with all the tight regulations on how much people can borrow, um, you're probably right, people are not overly leveraged. I suppose as long as companies generate cash flow, they can service interest costs and debt repayment. Likewise, as long as salaried employees keep their jobs, servicing a mortgage can be manageable. From my personal experience of having been forcibly put out of employment before, do always have some buffer in place to service debt obligations. Otherwise, the mental toll can be potentially unbearable. Still to come, how will budget 2024 impact Singapore property? The Business Times branded podcasts, finely curated, intelligent, thought-provoking, Content for today's decision makers and inspired by the newsroom of your trusted partner. Available on all your favorite audio content apps and at www.businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts. And now, back to Property BT with Leslie Lee. Let's move the conversation away from the Singapore housing market. Coming out of the COVID pandemic, office and retail property in Singapore have done rather well. This is unlike the case in many global cities. In some places, people continue to largely work from home, transforming office towers and city centres into ghost towns. In Singapore, many of us, reluctantly or otherwise, are back to working largely out of the physical office. Also, Singaporeans love to visit malls, despite the popularity of online shopping. What are the prospects for the office and retail property markets in Singapore? And what are the key drivers in these segments, Xianyang? So, Singapore Grade A office rents remain on an upward trajectory, though we anticipate slower growth this year. There are a few reasons. Firstly, unlike last year, there's more supply coming into the market in 2024, about 1.9 million square feet in the CBD. So, as such, this will give tenants a bit more bargaining power. Secondly, while economic prospects look better and should encourage more office demand, Occupiers may still hold back on their expansion plans until they see a sustained loosening of financing conditions. But that's it, the long-term prospects of the office market remain good. While we will see heightened levels of office supply this year, it will return to a tight supply market again from 2025 to 2027. Additionally, pent-up demand for office spaces could be accumulating. If you look at office using employment, headcounts have grown in recent years, despite you know, the recent news about job cuts, right, it still remains really higher compared to pre-pandemic levels. And, and companies are encouraging workers to return to the office. So as such, we could see pent-up demand being released when interest rate concerns recede and you know, the economy gets on a better footing. And so for the retail market, it remains a two-tier market 
where major malls at good locations with a good tenant mix are able to attract the bulk of footfalls, whereas the weaker malls continue to see higher vacancy. Recovering tourism, resilient consumption spend, and the effects of revenge spending have driven tenant sales in Tier 1 malls past pre-COVID levels. As such, landlords' rental expectations are rising, and this comes along with increasing property operating costs. So prime retail rents are poised to rise in 2024, but also have to take notes that retailers also still face fairly challenging business operating conditions due to higher labor costs and also now higher rents. So we will see a rejuvenation in the retail scene where struggling brands were quite quits, while you know, we will see new brands enter the market. So overall, I guess we're looking at quite a positive picture for the office and the retail segments here. Senyang, we will not just be welcoming the Year of the Dragon soon, we also have Singapore Budget 2024 to look forward to. Will Budget 2024 contain plenty of goodies? Personally, I look at the upcoming budget announcement on February 16th with some trepidation. In recent years, property taxes have gone up. Taxing property is seen as fair. It is a tax on wealth, with those having more contributing more. The tax is also hard to avoid. I do not expect property taxes across the board to come down. However, I think there's scope to apply lower non-owner occupier residential rates to homes that are vacant or homes that are leased out by elderly owners. Also, it may not be fair for property tax rates of non-residential properties to be generally much lower than non-owner occupied homes. Xianyang, what are your expectations and wishes for the property sector in Singapore budget 2024? I hope nothing exciting happens. Like what you mentioned, in the last two budgets, we had increases in property taxes and also increases in buyer stamp duties. But I think there could be some opportunity to tweak the additional buyer stamp duty regime slightly to make it more convenient for certain buyer types to change their homes. So this could not be for investment purposes, but for owner occupation. For example, one way is we could allow ABSD remission for singles. Right now, only married couples, one of which must be a Singapore citizen, are eligible for ABSD remission to facilitate the changing of homes. Whereas for Singaporean singles, they do not have that benefit of ABSD remission. So for them, they will either have to time their property purchases perfectly or they would have to incur unnecessary expenses and go to the rental market. But even for singles, there could be valid reasons to change homes. For example, they may want to move back closer to their parents or there could be a change in work locations that require you know, buying a new home closer to their workplace. And allowing ABSD remission for singles is unlikely to impact the market because we already have seller stamp duties and buy stamp duties in place and this would already discourage flipping in the housing market. Xianyang, I guess the idea of ABSD remission for singles can certainly be something that's worth serious consideration. Invariably, homes in Singapore can be good stores of value because of Singapore's stability and social cohesion. Also, there's constant investment to upgrade the infrastructure here. For property owners, bearing a greater tax burden is a price to pay to enjoy the appreciation and value of the Singapore assets. Across various property types, Singapore property has been a star. Is the Singapore property sector's exceptionalism justified? Maybe what goes up will have to come down. Let's do some crystal ball gazing, Xianyang. 
What are the big swing factors on the upside and downside for Singapore property near term and long term? So I would say there are two key factors that I look out for. So one, the performance of the global economy. Singapore's small open economy is highly exposed to what happens in the US, Europe, and also China. And it's estimated that about 7% of our economy is driven by external demand. So if the global economy, especially the US, does well, Singapore does well. Companies will be more willing to deploy capital, and this means more office demand, industrial demand, retail demand. Right? They will be more willing to increase salaries, and this bodes well for housing demand as well. So that's one key factor that we'll be looking out for for 2024. Second thing that I'll look out for is inflation and interest rates. The whole premise of lower interest rates is really on the assumption that you know inflation has come down. So lower inflation will allow for lower interest rates, which will have a positive impact on buying demand. And particularly, this will give a boost to the investment sales market as a lower rate environment will be supportive of property values and encourage activities in the market as investors will then recycle their capital for higher yielding risk assets, such as property, away from lower yielding assets such as bonds. So I would say these are the two key factors to look out for and that would really shape the way you know, Singapore property markets perform in 2024. Xian I think we have covered plenty of ground in looking at the near term and the long term. Only time will tell if our projections turn out to be accurate. In property ownership, having holding power matters. This is something to be particularly mindful of when interest rates are high and the economy is uncertain. Looking ahead to the upcoming budget, we should not just be looking at any goodies or property sector-related announcements, knowing where the economy is heading and how Singapore is positioning to thrive in the years ahead matter greatly. Ultimately, the property sector here thrives or fails depending on whether Singapore's economy is competitive. We are a high-cost place. People and businesses will only want to come and locate here if our value proposition is strong. May the year of the Wood Dragon be a good one for Singapore. Thank you to my guest, Wong Xian Yang from Cushman and Wakefield. Thank you, Leslie, for inviting me. That's it for Property BT this time. Join us next time where we dive into whether to buy physical property or property-related equities. Many listed developers here trade at big discounts to book value, but many lack share price catalysts. Many listed real estate investment trusts or REITs trade at undemanding valuations and offer decent yields. However, can REITs grow their distribution per unit? Physical homes appear to be solid investments, but transaction costs are high and prices have already enjoyed a strong run-up. I'm Leslie Yee. Thank you for listening and happy property hunting. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.